Good morning. Welcome to St. Paul's Sunday morning Bible study. Uh, my name is Tanner Wade, pastor here at St. Paul's. And of course, uh, we are not in our normal setting this morning. We're not able to meet in person, but still uh, we are able to record and get this Bible study out to not only the members of St. Paul's, but to those listening locally in the St. Louis area on AM850 KFUO and worldwide on KFUO.org. Uh, as is our usual practice, we will dive into the lectionary readings for the following Sunday. So that will be the readings for Sunday, August 16th, uh, which is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, or proper 15 in Series A. Uh, it consists of the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 56, uh, an epistle reading from Romans chapter 11, a gospel reading from Matthew chapter 20, or 15, sorry, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, and Psalm 67. Uh, I encourage you to pull those up or have those readily available to you before we get started here this morning. Uh, but before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today as your people, thankful for the grace and the mercy that you so freely offer us in our daily lives. We pray that even in the midst of a pandemic, you would continue to guide us in the hope and in the wisdom found in knowing who you are and knowing your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us follow Christ's example as we go about our lives this week, and let us seek to always uh, seek your truth, the truth of your word and the truth found only in your son. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so we're going to begin with the Old Testament reading today. That is from Isaiah chapter 56. And this week you may notice there's a couple lessons that uh, seem to skip around a bit. And this is the first of those. Uh, Isaiah 56, the lectionary reading is verse 1 and then verse six, uh, verses 6 through 8. Uh, so I'm going to read that as it is in the lectionary. But then I'm also going to read those verses in between. One of the things that I always thought of, especially when I was younger, whenever you got to church and it said, you know, Isaiah 56, verse 1, and then verses 6 to 8, I always wonder, well, what's in verses 2 through 5 that apparently uh, we weren't supposed to cover? But of course, that's not why those are broken apart in that manner. But let me just read how it is in the lectionary first, and then we'll read uh, Isaiah chapter 56, 1 through 8 after that. So the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 56, starting at verse 1. That says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. All right. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. And one of the interesting things about this Old Testament reading is we start to see pretty clearly what the theme uh, of the four readings for this week uh, really is trying to remind us. What, why are they grouped together as they are? Uh, and one of the first things you notice is uh, there's a lot of talk about foreigners or all peoples, that anyone 
uh, who does not profane the name of the Sabbath or profane the name of the Lord, who those who hold fast to his covenant, they will be brought to God's holy mountain. Uh, it's a reminder of Isaiah verse 2 where uh, Isaiah uh, says that God will call all people to his holy mountain, that peoples from all nations shall come uh, seeking God and not only seeking him, but seeking his judgment in their disputes, that they'll turn swords and spears into pruning ho hooks uh, and farm equipment signaling peace. And so we have that imagery already present when we think about the nations coming to uh, God's holy mountain. But before we get too far uh, ahead of ourselves, I did promise we'd read the rest of Isaiah 56, and it kind of gives you some important context as to why particularly in this sense, God is reminding Israel that foreign nations will be welcomed to his holy mountain, will be uh, welcomed into his salvation. So here is Isaiah chapter 56. It starts as our reading does. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. But in verse 2, what we don't have in our lectionary reading comes, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So those last uh, four verses there, that's what we would ordinarily not have in our reading uh, for this upcoming week. However, it presents an important picture that uh, there was a certain sentiment within both the Jewish populations, perhaps even Gentile populations living amongst Jewish peoples, that they would not, the Gentiles would not be welcomed by God. That even if they followed his commandments and uh, loved him with all their heart, soul, and mind, that they would not be welcomed by God. And so God addresses this directly, saying, no, that's not the case. And then in verse 6, we have that second part of our lectionary reading that I read earlier, that the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares... I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And so we can kind of get a sense as to the what contextually is going on right now in the lives uh, of the Israelites. They, one, are saying that the foreigners would not be welcomed, and two, uh, may be resting on the fact that they themselves are Jews and not caring if they follow the commandments and the statutes of the Lord or do righteousness uh, for his name's sake, but rather just based on the simple fact that they are uh, ethnically Jewish, relying on that solely for their salvation. Uh, and when this is further illustrated by the last part of the chapter, again, what is not ordinarily read uh, from Isaiah 56 for this upcoming weekend, which starts at verse 9, 
All you beasts of the field come to devour, and all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind, they are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs, they cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite, they never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. Now, at first, it may not be entirely clear as to what that last part of Isaiah 56 is speaking to, um, but based on the context and using specific words like they are shepherds with no understanding, it's commonly assumed that this last, uh, these last four verses of Isaiah 56 are directed at the leaders of Israel, that the leaders of Israel were the ones who were sitting down dreaming, loving to slumber. And why might they love to slumber? Well, that's answered as well. Uh, they have a mighty appetite. They can't get enough. It's Every day is Thanksgiving uh, dinner for them. Uh, they don't have understanding. And then, of course, the last, uh, last verse of this chapter says, Come, the leaders say, Come, let me get wine. Let me fill up myself with strong drink. And tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. So you have a situation where those who are the people of God, ethnically at least, uh, and especially their leadership, are not following the ways of the Lord. They are going against God's commands, and the leadership even uh, has given themselves over to gluttony, uh, overconsumption of both food, sleep, laziness, and drink. And so you have this situation where those who are not or those who have the promise of God are not acting as those with the promise, and perhaps even those who are, uh, would not ethnically be, quote-unquote, the people of God, God reminds Israel, they will be welcomed. Your outcast, the outcast of Israel, will be gathered besides you. And so you have this uh, interesting back and forth that's occurring in this chapter. You may notice um, right away what it is that qualifies the foreigners um, to be those who would be welcomed by the Lord. You notice what it takes for the foreigners to be, quote-unquote, joined uh, to those who are the people of God. It's not that they are joined to the Israelites, but rather in verse 6 we read, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, who minister to him or serve for him, uh, the ones who love the name of the Lord, not the ones who love being Israelites or love being known as the children of Jacob or the children of, uh, you know, Israel. But the ones who love the name of the Lord and the ones that are to be his servants. And so one of the interesting things we think about in our world, you know, denominations, sometimes we can be so caught up trying to make sure we maintain some sort of denominational identity that we could be tempted at least to forget that first and foremost, uh, what makes us who we are is our connection to God and specifically through Christ as Christians. That is not our connection uh, on a church membership role. And it's not necessarily uh, our connection to, you know, uh, such and such Lutheran church, but rather truly it is our connection to God through Christ and Christ alone uh, that we are also as Gentiles, 
uh, or at least the majority of us as Gentiles, uh, joined to the Lord. And we know that uh, we are the ones who, like uh, those God talks about in this text in Isaiah, will be brought to God's holy mountain. We can be joyful in his house of prayer, that uh, our offerings and our sacrifices are not uh, disgusting or, or rejected by God, but rather they're pleasing to him. Uh, and so it's interesting when we think about it in that sense, uh, our temptation even today sometimes to be too focused on denominational lines. Um, and that's a temptation for not just Lutherans, but for a variety of peoples, um, a variety of denominations. We first and foremost are truly Christians. And the Lord has gathered us. We would be in this time an outcast for the people of Israel. Uh, and yet he has gathered us besides him. Besides him. Uh, and so as we who sit there beside him, we know that we truly are redeemed by Christ. So that is the Old Testament lesson. And you'll start to see uh, that theme, as I always talk about, develop uh, throughout these four lessons. And next, we're going to move on to our psalm, which is Psalm 67. It is the whole psalm. It's not a particularly long psalm, just about seven uh, verses here. So let us begin at uh, verse 1 of Psalm 67. I'll read the introduction as well. To the choir master with string instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Right away, when we uh, think of the psalm, those first, uh, the first verse there will be very familiar to many people. Uh, verse 1, which is, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That, of course, is the, the words commonly um, said in the benediction at the end of a service. Uh, words that we've probably heard numerous times in our lives and perhaps uh, not always entirely sure where in the Bible they occur. Well, <laughs> quick answer is Psalm 67, verse 1. Uh but then we continue in verse 2 and read that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power be known among all nations. And here again, we, we get that theme that even in the Old Testament, uh, the authors of the Old Testament acknowledge that God's salvation is not limited to a particular ethnic group of people, but that God's uh, true salvation is for all peoples. And in fact, here, the psalmist even prays for that to happen that God's way would be known on earth and that his saving power would be among all nations. Why will therefore let, so that all the peoples would praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. It's interesting, especially when we as a country right now face so many challenges, uh, those words, let the nation be glad and sing for joy. Uh, I don't know if I thought that 
or seen that uh, thought of very much uh, in the last few weeks or even the last few months with coronavirus, that notion that the, the notion that our nation should be glad and sing for joy. And yet, uh, because of who God is and what he has done, we, of course, can be, even in the midst of a pandemic, very glad and have lots of joy. Uh, knowing that truly God does judge people with equity, and that is fairness, that he does, He shows no uh, partiality, as uh, Paul would later say in Romans. Uh, and uh, a final uh, uh, plea from the psalmist here is that he would guide the nations upon the earth. And then into verse 5, we read, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Here, even... In the Old Testament, the, the, the plea of the psalmist is that all peoples would praise God, that the earth would yield its increase, and that God, our God, shall bless us. And I always think that's an important reminder. It's, it's a, a special reminder anytime you come across that in the Old Testament. Uh, when it says God, establishing who he is, kind of in the big picture sense, the... Uh, objective sense in the terms of he is God for all peoples. But then when it's followed immediately by our God, that he's not just a God that's out there and yeah, he's out there, but it's, he's distant. No, he is our God. And for those in Christ, he is your God. He is the one true living God. And so we end the Psalm with God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And of course, that word fear there is one of my uh, favorite words in the Old Testament. And that may seem like an odd thing to, to say, but that is the same word for, you know, revere or to be in awe of. And really that as God's people, that's what we should be. We should be in awe uh, of the majesty and the power that is the God that would bring salvation for all peoples. So you can kind of pick up on the theme, or you should probably be picking up on the theme, at least from the first two lessons. Uh, it's a theme we'll see continued. But truly that even uh, from the, the beginning of time, God's salvation will be and is for all peoples. The peoples who, as Isaiah said, um, or God says through Isaiah, who joined themselves to the Lord, who love the name of the Lord, who serve the Lord, uh, who keeps the Sabbath and do not profane it. And as the psalmist says in, this, in Psalm 67, uh, the peoples will praise you, O God, that your saving power may be among all nations. And perhaps that is also an important reminder when we see so much animosity, not only uh, between countries, but even between ourselves as a singular nation, animosity between different groups. Um, but I don't want to get too far ahead on that. We'll, we'll have a little bit more to talk about the overall kind of theme of these, these four lessons at the end. But let's move on to our epistle lesson, which is from the book of Romans, Romans 11, uh, verses 1 through 2a, 13 through 15, and 28, for 30, uh, 28 through 32. They really chopped this one up quite a bit. So I'll begin as I normally do by reading uh, the what will be read from the lectionary as the epistle lesson for this following week. But then I'll also read uh, the parts of chapter 11 that are absent uh, from this particular 
uh, lectionary reading. So as it is in the lectionary, starting at Romans 11, verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected or devalued his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then uh, as I am an apostle to the Gentile, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? As regards to the gospel, they are the enemies. They are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have been dis disobedient in order that the, by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So right away, uh, we can see how this kind of fits from the, the theme of the first two, two lessons. Uh, and also, just as of note, uh, you see right away where uh, Paul harkens back to another Old Testament text, one we haven't read yet, but the, the text of uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah, you know, pleads to the Lord and says, Lord, <laughs> your people, they've forsaken you. They rejected you. You know, if you're not going to punish them, just take my life while you're at it. Um, and God, of course, speaks to Elijah. He kind of calms Elijah down in, in one sense, uh, kind of talks him off the quote-unquote uh, ledge. And he says, and I'll read that for you from 1 Kings chapter, ten, or chapter 19, starting at verse 10. Uh, Elijah says to God, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, uh, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke it in pieces, uh, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and, uh, and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And even I, uh, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. And then it goes on and on and on. But the key part here is what, what God says to Elijah at the end. Uh, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, 
and every mouth that has not kissed him, him meaning Baal. So God promises Elijah in that passage that Paul cites a remnant that will be faithful throughout uh, their existence, that though it seemed like all hope was lost, that truly not all um, had forsaken the Lord. And so then Paul continues, and for electionary purposes, starting again at verse 13, uh, by addressing the Gentiles, saying, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. What does And he tells them exactly what, what that means. In order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. And here you see Paul's logic. Uh, Paul himself knew what it was like to be a Jew, a Jew who knew the laws of the Lord, who knew the covenant of the Lord, and yet rejected who Christ was and what Christ has done. And then, of course, on the way to Damascus, Paul uh, has a, an encounter with Jesus that changes his mind quite a bit. And so here in Romans 11, Paul is talking to the Gentiles uh, with the direct purpose that he uh, is emphasizing the very fact that the Gentiles uh, have been given this salvation, that God's people have, uh, the Israelites have forsaken God, and now because uh, they rejected God, God's salvation is for all peoples. He is magnifying that or focusing on that point for the purpose of uh, winning back some of the Jews, saving some of the Jews, as he puts it, uh, in order to make my fellow Jews jealous. And he says why uh, he is so passionate about this in verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? but life from the dead. Uh, and it's an interesting concept how there can be simultaneously rejection and reconciliation. What is the rejection he's talking about? Well, that's, of course, the uh, crucifixion of Christ, the fact that uh, Jesus' own people rejected him. But through that same rejection, that, that crucifixion, came the reconciliation for the whole world. And so you do have this kind of uh, negative and positive spin to the same event. That yes, the, the Jews did reject it, but that meant that the Gentiles were able to be reconciled with God. But that's not all. Now imagine, as Paul says, uh, what it will mean if the Jews were to accept the saving grace of Christ. Well, then that would mean life from the dead. That would mean eternal life with God. That would mean their salvation as well. And so he says in verse 28, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. What is Paul talking about here? Well, for the sake of the gospel, they are enemies because at the time, very literally, they were opposing uh, those who had claimed to be followers of Jesus. And so, too, they themselves rejected, many rejected the gospel. But in terms of, well, so has God completely cast off his people, the Jewish people? Uh, the answer is very quickly, absolutely not. But as regards to election, as Paul would continue with in verse 28, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And continuing in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
Now, I want to take a moment and just focus on that, what it means that the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. It means that, one, as Christians, we, can, we never have to doubt that uh, the gifts God gives to us are going to be taken away from us. After all, as Paul would say in Ephesians, it is by grace we are saved, a gift from God, not from our own works. And it is through that gift we are called to do the good works that God has set about for us to do. But it's not in order to keep the gifts that he has given to us. In fact, uh, to make it, you know, to turn it into you must do this in order to keep that, that turns it into a work. So that's the first thing it means that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What's the second thing? Well, it means that God will not uh, take his people and cast them off forever. That there will always be that opportunity uh, to stop rejecting the free gift of God. It's not as if, uh, you know, now that the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem have killed Jesus, all the people of Israelite, or all the people of Israel, I should say, um, all the Israelites, they are uh, unable to know who this Jesus is and know what he has done for them. And Paul points out this was this very same predicament the Gentiles were in. In verse 30 saying, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. Again, calling back to the crucifixion, the disobedience of the Jews, the ones who would reject the gift that God has given them, and therefore uh, God would offer it to all peoples. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. That through the mercy shown to us, those who do not yet know God would be shown mercy, would receive, I should say, sorry, received mercy. And then we get to the last verse of this epistle uh, reading. This is one that I might take just a, a second look in order to understand because it kind of has a, a strange phrasing, at least in the English Standard Version. Uh, verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And that word there in the Greek, it's also used in uh, Galatians 3, verse 22, where Paul would say, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise uh, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And really, uh, the point of why that's there, it's not as though um, God desires everyone to be in sin, but rather... Uh, because he has, uh, or because we, I should say, because we have been born into sin, uh, we are consigned to sin. And one of the benefits, if I, should, if I could be as bold to say that, is that God, therefore, has mercy on us all. Whereas Paul says in Galatians that uh, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe that we can't uh, trust in the grace and the mercy and, and really receive the true gift of God unless we understand exactly what sort of predicament we're in as human beings, unless we understand exactly what sort of uh, problem 
our sin really is and what it took for that sin to be uh, lifted off of us, what it took for uh, those wages, those wages of death to be removed, um, for us to be uh, credited righteousness. Uh, it took nothing less than God himself coming into the flesh and dying uh, for all. And that word all uh, has been brought up in every single lesson. And if you uh, can imagine this in the gospel lesson, we'll also uh, see that same concept that this is for all who would believe. Uh, in a sense, all three of these lessons can some can so far can be tied right back into John 3.16. You know, that God gave his son so that whoever, so that all who believe would be saved. And that's the same theme that we see here in these four lessons for this uh, upcoming weekend, that truly it's not just for a particular group. It is not just for a particular denomination. It is not just if you are born in the right zip code or in the right country or if the right hair color or have, you know, are on the right continent. No, God's mercy, God's salvation, the joy we receive in Christ, that is for all people who would believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Uh, but I promise before it gets away from me that I would cover, just briefly, just read through the sections that are not covered uh, in the lectionary reading. And because this is so split up, we go from verses 1 to 2, then to verse 13 through 15, then to verses 28 through 32. I'm just going to read uh, the rest of Romans 11 because it would be a little tough to try and jump around that much. So here is Romans 11 to give you just a little bit of context as to what uh, we have been talking about thus far. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And just real quick, uh, before we get too far, just to quote where uh, those came from, those two quotations. Uh, so Paul right there quotes uh, what most commentators believe to be Isaiah 29. Now, in Isaiah 29 um, it is an interesting section because it covers uh, some of the hypocrisy that Israel um, was facing, again, back in Isaiah's day. This is before Isaiah 56, but... Uh, Isaiah 29 verse 10 says, for the spirit, for the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. So that's where we get that stupor um, and has closed your eyes uh, and covered your uh, heads. 
And so that's where you get the, the eyes would not see, ears that would not hear. Uh, one of the interesting things apart about Isaiah 29, though, is why this is happening. And we see that in Isaiah 29, verse 13, where God says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will do wonderful things again with this people. Wonder upon wonder. Uh, so you can see Paul is kind of insinuating that, again, Israel has fallen into this trap, this trap of thinking that it's just the laws of men, the commandments of men, just checking a box. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter where your heart is as long as you check the right box, say the right thing, do the right thing, make sure you don't do the wrong thing on the wrong day. That's all God cares about. And so in one sense, Paul is calling that out even in Romans 11. And then uh, he quotes David from Psalm 69, uh, verses 22 to 23. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go through all of that either. Um, but those are where those two quotes come in on the first 10 verses of uh, Romans 11. Then Romans uh, 11, verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, though through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And there, that's almost a copy of what we read at the end, where, where Paul talks about uh, in verse uh, 31 so, too, they, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also receive mercy. And for just, uh, let's see, where is it? Oh, and in verse 13, which we're about to cover here. Now, uh, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. And thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But some of the branches were broken off. And you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of the mystery, brothers. 
A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I'm going to pause there for a second and just talk about those last few verses where he talks about the olive branch and just briefly kind of cover the point he's trying to make, which is, you know, imagine a tree, a tree that has uh, been carefully fertilized. And in Paul's case, he uses an olive tree, but any tree, any plant, a prize winning plant, a carefully cultivated plant. And Paul uses that imagery to describe how we as Gentiles are brought in to uh, God's family. That some of those branches from that carefully cared for cultivated plant were broken off. And Paul says they're broken off for their unbelief. And a wild plant of the same variety was grafted in. But Paul's reminder here to the Gentiles, especially in Rome, is that if that natural branch wants to come back, it too will be grafted in. And so he's encouraging uh, the Gentiles to let the kindness of God shine forth from them in order to perhaps graft back in those who have been cut off from, as uh, Paul said, the olive tree. Uh, Just looking at the time here, we have about uh, 19 minutes left. So although I wanted to cover all of Romans 11 um, to give a little context since the epistle lesson is so chopped up, I am going to stop us there and move over to the gospel lesson. And this gospel lesson uh, is from the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew 15, verses uh, 21 through 28. So we'll read beginning, starting at verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, Is it not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Talk about a little bit of a confusing gospel lesson. Not exactly one of those that uh, right away just jumps out as to uh, totally make sense for when we first hear it, perhaps. uh, That Jesus looks at this Canaanite woman, especially after these last three readings that we've just read, and he says to her, I've been sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But there's something important here, I think, that uh, is being brought out uh, when Jesus says that. Because, of course, uh, he has been sent for the whole world. It's not as though, um, in today's sense, Jesus is only for the lost sheep of Israel. But he's making an important point for her. And it's something Paul even brings up in Romans of chapter one, where he says, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of salvation first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. That in one sense, God came to send his son. God came to earth. uh, Jesus came to earth. God sent his son to die for his people. First and foremost, which is that house, that literal house that, uh, God himself was born into, 
right? The, the house of Israel, the children of Jacob. And so in one sense, Jesus uh, means what he says when he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But of course, that really, determine, that really depends, what that means depends on what your definition of the house of Israel is. And we have the fortunate ability to see in the, the last few lessons, um, and especially in that last lesson, that olive branch metaphor, and that's why I wanted to read that, the concept of being grafted in, that it's not two houses that stand co-equal, but we as Gentiles have been equally grafted in to the house of Israel. And so what does this woman confess when she says, Lord, help me? And Jesus answers her, it is not right to throw, take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then her response of, yes, Lord, let even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What is, uh, what is his point there? First of all, uh, we need to take context into account here. It's not like Jesus advocating going around and telling people who may not believe that they uh, are dogs, right? That, that, is not, that is not the intention of this gospel lesson, not in the first bit. But you have to be careful because there are times when people take this verse out of context, um, even quite famously, to mean something, to use that dog metaphor um, to attack something it doesn't even remotely have to do with in this gospel lesson. So that's the first thing I just want to make sure that we're clear here that Jesus is one, not speaking out against dogs. He's not saying dogs can't can't be a very good thing. After all, uh, they are. And we've seen that uh, throughout um, even the history of the world, not only for companionship, but even recently in our own uh, church body's history with our active uh, comfort dog ministry, of which St. Paul's is blessed to participate in with Tabby. it has nothing to do with an attack on dogs whatsoever. I just, we want to be abundantly clear on that. It's more talking about who God's people are to God and what we as sinners are in the face of our master, in the face, the face of the one uh, who came for his people. You know, it is still a statement of Israel's uh, primacy, you could say, as far as the salvation and the election of salvation for God's people. That, uh, as like I said earlier, Christ did come first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But in a sense, that's exactly what this woman acknowledges. See, when Jesus says, is it right to uh, give to the dogs what is the children of the masters or the food for the children of the master? Uh, in fairly blunt terms, he is bringing out the fact that uh, he has come for the people of Israel. But what's interesting here is the woman's response. You know, she has no problem being referred to as uh, a dog. And again, I'm not trying to focus on the dog in the sense of um, her value before Jesus, but rather their standing and, and how Uh, Perhaps even Jews would have looked at someone who was a Canaanite. Um, Her response of even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. That sure, I may be uh, not the one that God 
has called his people now. But I believe that God's Messiah, you, son of David, the one I'm relying on my daughter's uh, health and, and safety on, I believe that your abundance is so great that just the crumbs of your mercy, the crumbs of your kindness that fall from the table of those you came to save, that would be enough to heal my daughter. And that's why Jesus' response is so uh, immediately positive and striking. Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. She acknowledges the true greatness of God, the abundance of God's grace and mercy that Jesus came to give the whole world. She doesn't try and lift herself up. She doesn't make her own self lofty, but rather she elevates and magnifies the abundance and the grace and the mercy and the power of God. And of course, the reality is her daughter was healed instantly. So we look at these four lessons. We look at Isaiah 56. We look at Psalm 67, Romans chapter 11, and Matthew 15. And we look at the theme, and really it's an important theme for today that runs throughout them, and it's that God's salvation is for all people. We can't deny that Jesus came first for uh, the Jewish people, ethnically Jewish people. And yet, even in the Old Testament, God promises his salvation to all peoples. That foreigners will join themselves to the people of God. That foreigners themselves will be the people of God. As Paul would say, they would be grafted in. That God's salvation is a salvation that is for everyone. Even those we disagree with politically, those we disagree with perhaps uh, in our lives, those we don't always act kindly towards, even those who are looked down upon by society, God's salvation, God's love, God's mercy, God's righteousness is for all. And therefore, we ought to uh, show that kindness to all. So it's, it's a great reminder, um, especially when we can be so tempted in the midst of coronavirus to kind of get caught up in our own little bubbles. Right now, we can, if we want, stay home pretty uh, easily. Uh, in fact, in some cases, it's very understandable why we would stay home for the vast majority of our weeks, uh, for the safety of perhaps us or a family member uh, that we're close to in our lives for their own health and well-being. And we can be very easily caught up in a bubble right now, forgetting that truly uh, we should be seeking to bring God's word to all. And the beauty of technology is just like this Bible study, which uh, is films or recorded, I should say, several days uh, prior to it being released on the radio. And though we can't have the normal back and forth discussion as we would in the in the gymnasium uh, and we can't have that, you know, cup of coffee and the laughter and the fellowship together at this moment. One of the beauties is we can still have this Bible study. We can still uh, spend this time in God's word as a community of believers, as those uh, redeemed by Christ. Uh, and in every positive sense possible, those who would be those dogs who receive the crumbs from their master's table. And so these four lessons do paint uh, 
really a cool and important picture for us. Now, I do want to mention something for uh, St. Paul's members especially, uh, and that is while these lessons are excellent, they will not be what you particularly hear uh, on the weekend of the 16th. And that is because we are having uh, our new school building dedicated that day. And so that we'll, we'll have a special service. We still wanted to use this Bible study as a chance to go through the lessons for the upcoming week. But uh, if you come to St. Paul's next weekend and, and you listen to this and you see that the Old Testament reading is in Isaiah 56 and the epistle isn't Romans 11 and the gospel isn't Matthew 15, don't worry, there has not been some major error at some point. Um, it's that we have uh, decided to have very uh, special lessons for that service. Lessons that uh, highlight uh, the fact that we are dedicating the new school building and rejoicing in the gifts that God has given us and will continue to give us through our school uh, at St. Paul's. So I just wanted to add that in there at the end uh, so that there's no confusion for next week when you come to St. Paul's. Uh, But before we wrap up for today, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that you came for all peoples. That we know that you did truly come first for those uh, of the house of Jacob, the house of Israel. But we we rejoice in the reality that is us as Gentiles being grafted in to that good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to guide us in faith, that you would keep us safe, that you would continue to grant wisdom and skill to the doctors and first responders that have been uh, so selfless during this pandemic. We pray that you would guide our community leaders, our church leaders, our lay leaders, and those in elected positions, uh, continue to guide them in wisdom, that they would seek to do uh, what is best for the people they are called to serve. We rejoice in the reality of your son, and we pray that you would allow us, even in the midst of this pandemic, to spread that good news to all we would come across And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.